When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and as always, I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. We are going to continue right along with our position review series. This uh, week, we are going to be talking about the defensive tackles for the New York Jets, a very sneaky need for this team as it currently stands right now heading into 2023. There are only two players on the roster at defensive tackle that are under contract for the 2023 season. Luckily, one of them is Quinnen Williams, so that is a, a nice, you know, sweat wipe off the forehead there but besides him it's just Tanzel Smart who is mainly a reserve player practice squad guy called up a little bit during the season but hasn't seen too much regular season action Matt let's get right into this here looking at the the outside free agents for this team they got a lot of guys that are about to go they have three in particular set to be undrafted free agents Sheldon Rankins who was a starter for them last year and then two of their key reserves in Nathan Shepard and Solomon Thomas I think first and foremost, before we get looking to the outside and free agency in the draft and and what can we do to kind of round out this position, we were talking off air. And I think the the linchpin of how this goes is going to be what happens with Sheldon Rankins internally. If he were to be brought back, I think that's you know a very smart move for them to make. I think it's something the Jets should look into doing. Keep guys that know the system that you know can play together and play well. That said, Rankins might price himself out of what the Jets can afford or be willing to afford. So let's go ahead and talk about that, Matt. I want you to lead here. Just take us through the scenarios of what could happen and what couldn't, whether Rankins is going to make sense financially or not. Yeah, so uh, in hearing what Sala had to say, I believe it was today or yesterday, uh, it sounds like they really want to keep the the gang together. Keep the, the guys that we had that led the the. the that led our defense uh, on such a rampage last year uh, and really, you know, build off of that. So m- bringing back the guys that we had makes a lot of sense. But then, as you said, rankings might price himself out. I've, I've heard rumors that he is looking for the something in the eight to $10 million range, which I think is an incredibly high price for what he offers. When he was brought in, I saw him more as a pass rush specialist uh, who was then forced into a bigger role 
uh, on rundown. Uh, and not to say he didn't, you know, step up to the plate and and do his job last year because I think he did an admirable job last year uh, and just, uh, exceeded my expectations as far as being able to fill into that role. Um, but I, I just don't see that as a stable uh, solution for that, especially on those rundowns. I think maybe last year was more of a flash in the pan rather than something that we should expect. And paying him that much money for a flash in the pan uh, just doesn't seem like smart money. Um, so I would love him back, uh, but most definitely not at that price. Uh, and I'm not sure if anybody else is going to be willing to pay him that price either. Uh, so he might price himself out of a lot of uh, deals out there. Um, so you never know. We just got to let that one play out. I can kind of see uh, uh, him kind of going into late free agency uh, with a lot of people not biting on his numbers. And uh, maybe uh, that's the moment JD gives him a call and goes, hey, uh, so we still love you here and we love you back. How does this number sound? Uh, and hopefully that's the number that's significantly lower than the ones he, he's asking for right now. Um, and as for the depth, uh, we, we have Canadian Thanos. Uh, we have Solomon Thomas, who I guess they, they, they played a nice depth role. Like they, they were able to come off the bench and, uh, and, and do their thing. But at the same time, none of them really like stepped up to be like, wow, these guys are really making a name for themselves in this rotation. Uh, they belong to stay in this rotation. Uh, none of them, I don't, I, I feel have done that. Uh, so if we bring them back, it's more be because they're familiar with the system uh, and because we know that they're already decent depth pieces. Uh, but that's not going to stop me from looking elsewhere to try and improve. Uh, and there, there are some names in free agency that we can look to outside of what we had last year. Um, but yes, if all else fails, I don't think the, the market for Solomon Thomas and, and Shep uh, are, are going to be that crazy. I don't think anybody's going to be beating down the doors to, to sign these guys. So I think that we can always turn to them uh, if, if we're looking for depth pieces uh, on the cheap. And the, that's where I see them. Um, but really, we need a guy next to Quinnen. We need a solid starter that can that can step in and be that that stalwart right next to him. Uh, when Quinnen went down last year, you saw that how teams just ignored the interior of our defense line. They just double teamed our edges, and they just, and everybody else in the middle was singled up and eliminated in that Lions game. Uh, we can't have that. Like we, I, it, it's our hope and our dream that Quinton makes it uh, all 17 games next year. Uh, but you know what? Things happen. People get banged up. We need as much talent on that interior defensive line as we have on the exterior, on the edge. We have a number of guys uh, on the edge that can fill right in if, uh, if somebody goes down. On the inside, we have nothing. And, and especially now with nobody under contract other than Smart. So it is imperative that we get at least one more solid guy, preferably a vet, that can be right alongside Q on, on early downs, but also just fill in for Q if needed. Uh, and then kind of just fill in the ranks with, uh, with cheap depth guys or even in the draft 
uh, and and kind of grow that way. Yeah, I agree. I completely and totally agree. The The point that you made uh, right there at the end for me is is the real thing to highlight. They really don't have anything. They they have Quinn and Williams, which is not nothing. Let's be very clear about that. Quinn and Williams is a superstar and one of the best players at his position in the league. But after him, they literally have a practice squad player and nothing else. That, to me, Matt, honestly, makes me feel like one of the two of Shepard or Solomon Thomas is going to be brought back. I just don't see... I would be very surprised if they would be willing to cast off that many people in that room and have to bring in so many new bodies at once to fill out the rotation that, as we know, is so important to this defensive line and specifically the head coach in Robert Sala, where he fully believes in rotating that front and keeping guys fresh and sending waves after waves of waves of pass rushers and defensive linemen at offenses throughout the course of a game. You can't do that if you have two defensive tackles on your roster and one of them's a practice squad guy. So I'm. I really think that one of the two of them is going to be brought back. I don't know who. I'm not going to put any bets for which one it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be any serious money. I think it would be similar to the one-year deal that Solomon Thomas had already signed or you know, year-to-year sort of contracts like that. But I think one of them is going to be back. Next, I want to talk about Rankins because we were talking about him pricing himself out and getting too expensive. And I want to put every all of that into context for everybody when looking at Rankins and what he's asking for. Where if he's asking for a salary in the eight to ten million dollar a year range, that puts him in the top 15 of defensive tackles in the league in terms of annual salary, period. That you think every team is at least two, usually, if not more, starters at defensive tackle. That's well over 60 starting defensive tackles in the NFL per season. And Sheldon Rankins wants to be paid like a top 15 one. I think that's going to be, like you said, too rich for not only the Jets, but most other teams as well, where even looking at something a little cheaper, maybe in the $7 million range, $7 million range, he's around the 20th highest paid defensive tackle. So it's not that far down in terms of position in the league and and pricing and everything else to be a few million dollars off. But if he's really looking to get into that, you know, $10 million range, that's going to put him towards the top. For reference, if you're looking at the absolute highest paid players at their position, Aaron Donald leads the pack at $31 million a year. His contract is absurd and significantly more expensive than anybody else in the league. He signed as the biggest, the highest paid defensive player in league history at the time of his contract. He doesn't count. Aaron Donald's a first ballot Hall of Famer and one of the best players in NFL history. His situation is irrelevant. Number two is DeForest Buckner at $21 million. So literally $10 million less than Aaron Donald is number two at DeForest Buckner. Chris Jones is three at $20 million. Deron Payne, who just signed his franchise tag, is now fourth. He'll be playing on that $18.9 million franchise tag, fourth most in the league. Jonathan Allen at five at $18 million. So the gap in terms of the top of the league and where Rankins is looking to be placed, I think the money is just going to be too much. And I really think that he's going to be closer to probably around the six to seven million dollar a year range. And this is where I want to transition into free agency with the first guy that I want to talk about outside of this team. If Rankins prices himself out significantly and gets to the point where he's going, you know, I'm I want at least nine million dollars a year and and that's going to be how it is. And if I don't get it from here, then I'll go wait for somebody else and and see what ends up happening. Then so be it you let the guy walk. And the very first phone call I make is going to be to Greg Gaines from the uh, L.A. Rams, the defensive tackle from L.A. This guy's one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL and has been for a couple of years now. Doesn't put out amazing stats, has only got ten and a half career sacks over the last four seasons, but he had four and a half in 2021 and another four sacks in 2022. 
He's played in every game of this. He's only missed two games the last three years. Um, so good longevity on the inside as well. Relatively young. Um, he's only 26, going to be probably 27 when the league starts. So still has some upside there. And a, a guy that for someone who predominantly plays nose tackle for the Rams, his ability to penetrate, his ability to rush the passer, his ability to get under guys' pads and push them back and get off blocks and be kind of slippery is really, really underrated. And he's a dang good run defender, too, where the guy is no slouch against the run, perfectly stout, no trouble getting off blocks in that regard, stacking and shedding and getting into the backfield. I, I really feel like this is a guy where the Jets could sign him for seven to eight million dollars a year are comparable to maybe what Rankins is asking for and possibly even a little less. And they could be getting a guy that in this system with the players that we have around him, where he's not in a scheme like he would be in LA where he's having to two gap a little more and not be asked to be the splash player. I think you get this guy into our scheme and take the seatbelt off him and let him go. And you're talking about getting maybe a top 10 defensive tackle for top 20 defensive tackle money. I would I absolutely love that fit. I love that idea. I think that's a guy that can can continue to grow with Quinnen and form a, a absolutely just devastating duo on the inside that are going to be reliable, that are going to be, you know, balls to the wall as much as you could hope for. That's my top target. I, I don't necessarily think Matt will get into this more as the show goes on. I don't know if that's necessarily the smartest plan. I think the smartest plan is going to be try and bring Rankins back for a reasonable price and then look to fill out your depth with either guys you know in low-level free agency or some mid to late round draft picks. And that's kind of how you sort things from there for this year. But if Rankins gets too expensive and they have the money to spend that they would have spent on him anyway, I would be breaking down Greg Gaines' door to see what it would take to get him to New York. I think it would be perfect. Uh, is he just coming off of his rookie contract or is, is this the yep. second? Yeah. So he's 27 years old. Like you said, he's still young. Um, I would definitely, uh, look to him as, uh, that solid, uh, that, that, that kind of move has JD written all over it. He, I feel like yes, JD loves to get these, these guys kind of on the cheap that have had solid careers. Like Rankins, like when we got Rankins, I was excited about that. And JFM from and the Rams JFM. before. Well, JFM didn't really have the, the same career as Rankins. Uh, I feel like JFM was more a projection uh, pickup when, when we got Yeah, him. but he had some splashes in LA. He had, he had a handful of, of, of plays where he would get in and make plays. He had some big plays in their Super Bowl. Um, oh, I remember absolutely. when he, they played he, the Patriots. You know, there was, there was something there, but like exactly what you're talking about, we're really on the same page, where it's a guy that has shown flashes of being better that isn't being fully utilized that could be fully utilized for us. Very true. And yeah, if we can get him at around the same price that we had ranked last year and the year before, around the $5 million mark, uh, I think that would be a tremendous uh, boost. Um, and then you, you, uh, if you look past gains, there's a lot of guys that might be kind of pricing themselves out of for us, uh, along with Rankins, with uh, like Javon Hargrave, uh, Fletcher Cox, whose uh, contract's in a void year. Uh, like these guys are, are maybe good scheme fit for us, uh, but at the same time, they're going to be highly sought after. Even at 33, Cox is still a monster and will, will warrant a, a decent sized paycheck. Um, and I, I just don't see us really shooting for the stars here. 
especially with what limitations we might have, depending on what happens with quarterback and, and everything else. Uh, so I feel like interior defensive line is kind of the position where we want to find a guy like Gaines uh, and, and kind of build through that and then grab some depth behind him. Uh, and then on passing downs, we can kind of rely more on our, our hybrid guys like Franklin Myers and Clement. We can, might see them more on the inside next year. Um, although maybe more Franklin Myers than Clemens. I, I kind of like Clemens on the outside, uh, even though he's kind of a mismatch. Uh, he's just so quick for, for an interior uh, lineman to, to handle. Uh, I, I kind of like seeing how he blossoms as an edge rusher. Um, but Franklin Myers, for sure, uh, I feel like would be a, a great third down compliment. Uh, and yeah, a, a guy like Gaines kind of, kind of allows you to, to use those guys more in that role uh, and not force things like we did with Rankins. Um, he, yeah, he fits that to, to T. And I think that's an important point to bring up. This is, I was going to wait until we got to the draft, but this is, you led me in perfect, so I'm going to do it right now. What kind of defensive tackle does this team need? Because I think there's, you know, uh, everyone's going to talk about scheme fit and think a defensive tackles are a dime a dozen and there isn't much variance. There's a ton of variance in terms of how guys play, what they're better at, what they're not better at, what they'll be asked to do in this defense, and depending, quite honestly, even on who else is around them on the defensive line, when you're looking at the Jets' base package, we're talking, you know, what their four starters are going to be, whether it's rundown, pass down, etc. Who are the four guys that they want on their defensive line? They want their two edge rushers, which for this past season was JFM and Carl Lawson, and they want their two uh, interior guys, that are uh, Quinnen Williams and Sheldon Rankins this past year. Looking past them, Matt, and I think this will be a, a good way for, for you to continue talking on further than this, they really need a guy to fill in that Rankins role that can play well against the run and be more of the nose tech to, you know, one technique, nose guard, interior guy to let Quinnen be that three tech on the outside shoulder of the guard and be more the stout guy in the middle. Well, Greg Gaines fits that perfectly because he's played full-blown nose tackle in a 3-4, so he knows how to be stout. He plays very stout. He's used to all of that and has the ability where if he needs to be, uh, you know, collapse the pocket from a one technique, he can do that too. Where are we looking, you know, it's a very specific role that we're looking for. So go ahead and list out some of the traits that we're really trying to hone in on for these guys in particular to fill this need. So I'm looking for a guy with... uh a really strong base, a guy that can hold up against double teams uh, in the run game. A one, a guy that's just not going to be moved off his mark, uh, but also a guy that has some athleticism uh, to go with that heft, uh, to have the violence uh, and the penetration skills to really get after the quarterback in our attack defense, uh, because that doesn't change. Doesn't matter what down it is. Uh, or the distance, it's always an attack defense. So that always needs to be top of mind, especially when looking at prospects. Uh, and even for a run defender uh, on, the, on those rundowns, we need a guy that can do both, that can hold up and has uh, that gap discipline. Uh, should I just jump right into uh, to my first guy? or? Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's leap right in. I think we got the uh, the same guy in thought here. Um, this is, I'm assuming, both of our top targets when it comes to possible second round picks. We don't think the first round is going to be 
where the Jets will be looking in the draft for defensive tackles. But if they go in the second round, I think we know who we want. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, right now, Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin, uh, I believe, is one of the, the best guys that we can really get for our, our, our position in the draft in the second round. Um, I think he fits the bill for exactly what we need uh, as that 6'4", 300-plus pound uh, body that can hold up against double teams. He was double teamed quite a bit at Wisconsin, and he did a very good job uh, even fighting through double teams to really bring down the ball carrier. Uh, and he's, he has athleticism. He's kind of a mismatch when, when you look at him on, 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 in the tape or just uh, in practice at, at the, the Senior Bowl. You can see how difficult of a block he was uh, with his explosion uh, his strength in his arms to to really get separation and disengage from blocks. He is just a menace. Uh, I can see him really, I can see our team and the coaches uh, having a really hard time getting him off the field because he does everything so well. Uh, and when you have a guy like Quinnen next to him, I think it makes his job so much more easier. Uh, really for both of them. Really, because you got a guy like Quinn, and you already know he's going to gain a lot of attention. Uh, and then you got a guy like Benton, who's also going to need a lot of attention. So if you look at the Lions game last year, last, uh, like I said before, with Quinn and out, they just singled up and worried all about the edge. They can't do that with Benton. Benton allows you a lot of flexibility, uh, and it kind of gives you a little bit of a safety net as well. Uh, he's definitely one of my favorites. I have him as a solid second rounder. Uh, if people are worried about, or uh, the only thing I can see pushing him back in the draft is that uh, there are other interior guys that are more pure pass rushers. And I can see that, how that could be very valuable in the league today. So it's, uh, it's not crazy to believe that those guys might be picked ahead of him. Uh, and push him a little bit further back. Uh, but I still think he's a solid second-round pick and would very much like him at number 43. Yeah, I'm right there with you, 110%. Uh, there is no one that fits the the need and the role that we are looking for as that more stout, under-one-technique, shade-nose sort of tackle next to Quinn and Williams, not only on early downs, but on pass downs as well that can play the run that is very stout that can hold their own that can penetrate that's going to be always a a huge key for this defense is going to be the ability to penetrate and having guys that can get in the backfield and wreak havoc you know that's priority number one for robert solid his defensive lineman and benton can absolutely do that i love his ability to disengage off blocks he doesn't if he gets blocked he doesn't stay blocked for a long time when he gets under people he gets off of them quickly and gets himself free to make plays the quickness is there. We've seen some pass rushing prowess as well. I think there's development to be had. He's learning his moves along the way and going next to a guy like Quinnen Williams, I think would only help him with that tremendously. I, I absolutely love that fit. I, I would be perfectly fine with him in the second round at 43rd overall. Wouldn't be hear any complaint from me whatsoever. That would be an absolute slam dunk. You were talking about guys with a little more pass rush juice and guys that can, you know, get after the quarterback a little bit more. And that's going to lead me into the first guy I want to talk about where I don't know if the Jets are going to take him. I don't know if he's going to be available in a range that they would feel comfortable. I think 13 would be way, way, way too rich. And I don't know if he's going to last till 43 because maybe the right team is going to find the right, you know, 
fit for him and, and let this guy take off. But we need to have a conversation about Kalaja Kansi at Pitt. This is a guy that I was a little late watching on. I know he's had some hype around senior bowl time. So a lot of people starting to get to his tape and, and are going, you know, oh my goodness, this dude's a freak. You look at Kalaja Kansi, and the first thing you have to talk about is just his speed off the ball. He's an undersized defensive tackle. So when you're going to be smaller and you're going to be playing lighter than most everybody else, you would hope that there's some quickness and there's some some speed to go along with that. And, and Kalaja Kansi absolutely has all the quickness in the world. His ability to jump out of his stance he's usually the first guy off the ball most times more often than not his you know speed on top of that the ability to fire off and get two or three steps into the backfield where he's already penetrating before guys could even get close the quickness is is there in spades he's listed at six foot 280 by Pitt's web website i don't know how accurate that is i would have to double check um, obviously the combine going on right now. I'm pretty sure the defensive linemen are starting today with drills and workouts. So we'll see his measurements very soon when he gets to the combine and get those official numbers. But if he's close to that, if he's six foot 280, let's let's call a spade a spade for right now because it's the only information we have. The quickness with him, absolutely there. Everyone knows that. You don't got to worry about it. Dude is dude is lightning. The one thing that that really blew me away when I finally turned on the tape for myself watching Kalaja Kansi. The dude is so much stronger than anybody 280 pounds has any right to be. It's it's really, it's jaw-dropping at times. When he gets his arms into people's chests, he knocks them back like he's 45 pounds heavier. When he gets off the ball and gets low and gets under somebody and goes to really drive, it's a thing of beauty. The strength aspect for him is not too much of a concern for me. Quite honestly, where I was really thinking six foot 280, okay, you're going to be light, you're going to be undersized, you're going to be really quick on pass downs, you're going to be able to Olay guards on the inside with some inside outside moves, and and that's going to be great, and and we know what you are. I'm I'm a believer in this kid after sitting and watching because the the effort and, and like I said, just the strength and power that he has at his size is so impressive, and he was better at getting off blocks than I really anticipated him being too. Where And that goes along with the strength, where he's so quick, he's so violent, he's so fast, he's so good off the ball, and his hands are so are, are just like pistons, where he comes out of his stance and he's got both his arms into whatever offensive lineman's shoulders is trying to block him. It's like before they can even fully sit up from their three-point stance, he's already in their chest and he's already walking them back. He just controls guys so quickly. And then once he has that control, it's just fight, 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 tenacity, tenacity. I'm not stopping until the whistle's been echoing for a second and a half. That fits our defense. That's absolutely something Robert Sala is going to covet. And in the run game, that strength really shows up. It shows up in the pass game, too. He can bull rush, no problem. You want him to get inside on a guard and walk the guard into the quarterback's face? He's got you. You want him to set up with that same bull and then give the arm over to the inside and get free? He can do that. You want him with a spin move? He can do that. You want to use this guy as a looper on the edge? He can do it. There's so much you can do with this guy. And the only thing that's holding me back with the Jets in particular is if you take him, you would have to find the range to take him because I don't know if he lasts a 43. But even if you take him at 43, that means you're taking this guy to be a full-time starter. He's going to be, you know, a key part of your team. And I don't know if you could have a rotational piece as a second round pick. And I don't know if Cansey, at least for us, is going to make sense playing full time. If Quinn and Williams played more one tech and nose tackle and was more the under guy that was closer to the center, I think Cansey could survive as a full time three tech in the NFL. I think he's strong enough. I think he's stout enough. 
I think what he does from a pass rush perspective and the quickness to just avoid blocks if he's not standing them up outright and get into the backfield that way, even run or pass, I think he can make a living for himself doing that full-time in the NFL and be a starting defensive tackle. But I don't know if, like we've talked about a lot off-air, Matt, I really like the idea of Quinn and Williams at three-tech on pass downs because we've seen what he can do. And he is a 12-sack-a-year type of defensive tackle and one of the better players in the league at his position when he gets the opportunity to rush from that alignment. I don't know if I want to mess that up. I don't know if I want to move Quinn into, not that I think he would be bad, not that I think he couldn't survive or be effective or anything else. I'm sure Quinn and Williams will still be Quinn and Williams playing one technique, but I don't know if I necessarily want to take Quinn in the guy who is going to be making the most money on the defense, make him into uh, play a role that doesn't completely maximize his talents so that Cansey can fit in and play the role that fits his talents. That's kind of where the reservation for me is. But in a vacuum, looking at the player, looking at, at the prospect as a whole, this guy completely blew me away. Completely and totally blew me away. I was I was really, really overwhelmed, honestly, by the caliber of athlete and the strength that this guy possesses at his size to go along with the quickness that's to be expected. I have no idea where he's going to get drafted. If he got drafted top top 25, I'm not sure I'd be surprised. If he falls until top 50 to 50th overall pick, I wouldn't be surprised. I think this guy goes as high as late first and as low as late second. And uh, anywhere in between is just going to be up to the team and the, the fit and the need and everything else. But I'm a fan of Kalaji Kansi. And if the Jets were to take him in the second round, however they have to make it work, I'm going to have some questions in terms of, you know, the sequencing and the placing. But one thing I know for sure is look out on pass downs because the idea of Quinnen and Kansi next to each other on the inside with Jermaine and Michael Clemens or anybody else on the outside too Good luck to offensive lines. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, just looking at this guy and from where he's from, uh, from Pitt, there's going to be immediate, uh, you know, comparisons to Aaron Donald, another undersized, undersized, uh, explosive guy out of Pitt. Uh, and but you know what? I don't think I've ever seen anybody quite like Donald. And Cansey is not Donald, <laughs> but no. No, let's be clear about that. He's he not, not, but he doesn't have to be. He like we were just talking about, Aaron Donald's one of the best players in NFL history. That's a very high bar. Yeah, very high bar. And one he doesn't need to clear with us. You were saying how in the second round we will be expecting a day one starter uh, and how that might not jive with the, the positioning and what he's most, uh, what he's best at. And I agree, yes, to a degree. Uh, but at the same time, even Quinnen rotates out. He's only playing 65% of the snaps. So everybody's being rotated. So I have no problem with him not, you know, getting 60 to 70% of snaps as a rookie. Uh, I don't think any rookie defensive lineman uh, under Sala really gets that many snaps. Uh, you, you even look at JJ it, t- taken in the first round. Uh, he was definitely not getting anywhere close to that percentage of snaps. So to think that can't can't see in the the second at forty three, uh, kind of stepping in and uh, being a rotational guy, maybe getting uh the thirty to to fifty percent being in that range, I think is more than a, a nice place to start. 
especially as a rookie. Um, and what he offers, is, again, is just so valuable as a pass rush. Uh, it's so deadly. And I, I know you're, you kind of fear uh, the, the, the run game on, on third and, and medium uh, when, when it comes to having a defensive line that's able to, to hold up to that. Uh, and I know you don't want to have you as the, the, the one technique. And I don't think that is really a problem. I think on passing downs, we really played a lot of t- uh, double three techs. So I can see how the, the both of them can flow perfectly together uh, and staying in the roles that are more uh, prudent for what they're able to, to do. Uh, but yeah, on but then it goes back to where we're talking about Rankin and how Rankin's kind of filled in the role as uh, the one technique on early downs. And I we're not putting Cansey as the one tech. That's just not no, happening. No, sir. And I agree. We shouldn't have Quinnen as the one tech since, again, that's not where he's going to be making his money. He's going to be making a lot of money and that is just not the position we need. I, I, I have no problem with him doing it every now and then, but not as his primary position on rundown. Uh, I think that's just kind of neutering him a little bit. Um, but uh, so does he fit? Absolutely, because right now we, we, we said we have nothing. We have absolutely nothing. So even getting Canty as a rotational guy is valuable. Uh, whether he's there, I've seen people have him at 13 to us, which I think is insane. Uh, but I, I do not see it. I have him right now as a late first, early second. Uh, so there's a chance that he, he drops to us at 43. Uh, but the I I'm I would not be surprised if he's gone, like you said before that. Uh, but overall, a great prospect. And even though I don't have him at 13 to us, I, I that doesn't mean I'm discounting his talent and what he can bring to the table. Uh, he's definitely got the goods. Uh, between his athleticism and his under the radar strength, yeah, he can do a lot of good for us. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, I really, really do. I'm. The athlete and the the raw talent with him is just it's jaw dropping. It, it really is. Like I was fully expecting the quickness. I was fully expecting the speed, the explosion, the pass rush ability, all of that. That didn't disappoint me whatsoever. But when it's you know inside zone and he's got a, a left guard coming to take him on, and I'm going to try and and turn you and wall you to the inside and create a lane for this running back to cut behind my outside hip. And Cansey's just sitting there going, oh, you thought and shocks his hands into his chest and knocks the guy back three yards and tosses him to the ground and makes the tackle. That's the stuff I wasn't expecting. That's the stuff that really caught me off guard. And that's what really leads me to believe that would you want him being your your base down first and 10 one technique? Absolutely not. But if it's third and six, like you're talking about in that third and medium range where we know the Jets like to play wider fronts and they'll play the wide nines and the overloads and and have two three techniques and two wide nines on the outside and have a bunch of space open in the middle. If they're going to call the the trap play to the inside of the offense and try and split those defensive tackles and go up the gut, or they're going to call the draw or, or some sort of inside run to try and exploit that, I think Cansey could survive. I, I really do. I think he would be able to get off that block. And it probably wouldn't be every time, and it would probably bite them in the butt every now and again, but there'd be a couple of times, you know, throughout the season where they try and do that and he'd get off that single block and make a tackle and get a force a punt. I really like that fit. 
Let's talk about Carl Brooks next, another guy you're really high on and a guy that I got on a little bit later. This is going to be an interesting study because I think we can kind of agree here, Matt. What we think Carl Brooks is wasn't what we saw on tape. No, it was not. Out of Bowling Green, uh, Carl Brooks uh, comes in at a whopping 6'4", 300 plus pounds. Uh, He's not the kind of guy you expect to be playing stand-up edge. Uh, but that's exactly what no. Bowling Green had him doing. And not to take anything away from him, he did a decent job as a stand-up edge. He was able to, to play that position very well. But like you said, that's not where we see him. We see him most definitely playing on the inside uh, at the next level. Uh, he is a guy that really caught my eye back in November uh, just from his sheer athleticism at his size. Uh, I, there's very few guys that I've seen flatten out to the quarterback quite like him. Uh, it, it's, it's weird just like seeing him like just change direction that well uh, at that size. Uh, it's very impressive. Uh, with small school guys, the small school guys, you kind of want to see them dominate. And Carl Brooks at times was unblockable. He, and he kind of showed that at the senior bowl as well. Uh, during those practices, right next to Benton, actually, they they were two of the most uh, explosive and hard to block guys there. Uh, I believe that he translates very well on the interior at the next level, uh, kind of to maybe what we're looking for from Rankin as a guy that has a lot of pass rushing skills uh, with his ability to use his uh, his power, his upper body strength. Uh, his arm play, uh, and just the even some bend to to kind of bend around uh, offensive guards and centers. Uh, it, it just gives him an advantage as a pass rusher. Uh, but at the same time, he's no slouch against the run either. Uh, it's definitely I definitely put his pass rushing prowess uh, above his ability as as a run defender. Uh, but at the same time, I am not worried about him if we have him uh, on the inside playing nose tackle, uh, playing the one tech, if we wanted to have him as that role that we had Rankins in last year, I think he could definitely grow into that role. Uh, but again, as a small school guy, I feel like he might need a little bit more time uh, and a little bit more coaching, but the talent is definitely there. The athleticism is there. The strength is there. Uh, it's just a little bit of on the technical side that he needs to clean up a little bit. Uh, and once you do that, I think what he's capable of is through the roof. Uh, I believe he is most definitely a second round pick, uh, where in the second round, whether it's, uh, right up by, uh, by our pick in 43, or maybe a little bit further back. Uh, I think he is a solid second round pick. Uh, I, I, I know you have some, some thoughts on what he can clean up. Yeah, and I want to be very clear when I start with this, is that I think the majority, if not all, of my biggest problems with Carl Brooks are due to what he was being asked to do at Bowling Green, where they're making you a stand-up edge rusher, and you're 6'4 and 303 pounds. So there's already going to be you know a bit of a mismatch there. And like you said, he was pretty dang good at it. For, for the fact that he was being asked to be a, a, a really a full-time edge and didn't get too many reps on the inside, they came few and far between. They were there, but not often. Where at third and long, Carl Brooks is at wide nine. He's at seven tech. He's not on the interior at three tech. 
and was getting after quarterbacks. There's something to that. And I also want to be clear that I'm not trying to you know, say anything against Bowling Green's coaches for saying they misused this guy and they should have been somewhere else. If you have a guy who's six four and 300 and is your best edge rusher, then you play him as your edge rusher. You know, this is Bowling Green we're talking about. We're not talking about Alabama. We're not talking about Georgia. It's not like they had 45 other guys ready to play defensive end that were probably better than Carl Brooks. And so they said, okay, well, we're just going to keep you at edge because we like you. I don't think that's what happened here. I think it was their coaches trying to maximize this star that they had and put him in the best position to make an impact for their team. And that's what he did. You had mentioned something else, Matt, when talking about small school guys that you want to see them dominate. And looking at statistics, he absolutely dominated. Had 27 and a half career sacks over his five seasons. Had 46 career tackles for loss to go along with it. 90, uh, 167 total tackles, period, which is a ton for an interior guy, let alone or a defensive end or anything else. Really good statistically. Then he goes to the Senior Bowl. Absolutely dominates the senior bowls. One of the best players there. Doesn't matter the level of competition or who he's going against. He's giving him fits just with everybody else. That's absolutely a positive that you want to see. So you're checking the boxes when you're looking at small school guys. He's checking. We saw the the statistical dominance. Got that. We saw the the talent when he goes to the chance to compete against talent that's better and he continues to be the same guy, if not improve and be better than maybe people expected. That's another check right there. Now let's talk about the negatives. Let's talk about what needs to be improved. First and foremost, his pad level is horrible. It's, it's sad at times. Where And again, to be expected, when you're 6'4", 303 pounds, and you're playing stand-up edge rusher, yeah, you're going to have to get used to be playing more higher than you should. You're not going to be in the same sort of mindset as the, the three-point stance defensive tackle who's trying to stay low and get under people. That's something that needs to be improved, and that's something that absolutely can be improved once he gets to be a full-time defensive tackle and once that's all he's repping and once that's all he's having to focus on and his coaches are drilling it into his head of you're a defensive tackle now that's all you're going to be and you got to stay low and we got to keep you low in the rare instances when Brooks is playing on the interior and he keeps his pad level low he doesn't get blocked it's like it's not even it's laughable how good he is when he keeps his pad level low against the competition that he faced at Bowling Green he runs through them like a bull in a china shop. And I really want to see more of that, especially if this is a guy that's supposed to be a full-time defensive tackle like we expect given his size and his body makeup to be. That's really something I want to see improved. On top of that, and this is a, a distinction that I want people to understand, I want to see him be a little more strong in his hands on contact. Carl Brooks is great at getting off blocks. He is great at throwing people out of the way. He is great at shooting his hands inside, getting a grip on somebody and tossing them, whether it's the run game or the pass game, he can do it. He is a great push pull move as a rusher where, you know, he gets that extension, gives the long arm, and then he's able to pull the lineman past him and disengage and toss him to the side. And they go flying like a rag doll and he goes in to clean up whatever trash he's trying to clean up. That's awesome. I want to see him more jolt people right away. And it's, it goes right to what I was talking about with Kalaja Kansi where it's can't see he's low snap. Okay. Out the snap. I explode. I get my arms up. I am shooting them into your chest. And the second my hands hit your chest plate, I'm locking you back three yards immediately. Just the, the violence and the jolt on contact. I didn't see as much from that from Brooks. And I know he can't. That's the key point I want to make here is that I know he has it in him. He's too big. He's too strong. I've seen the, the strength and the, uh, the ability and the, the stoutness and other areas to where I know that he has this in him. It's just a technique thing and it's a little bit of a timing thing and it's getting used to being the lower edge rusher or lower defensive tackle 
where you're trying to get in quick and make that first jolt and put all your strength into that contact immediately. As an edge rusher, it's a little more calculated. You're used to having two or three steps before you make contact. You're used to being able to read guys ahead. And if they start oversetting to the outside, then we can cut back inside. There's not, there's more time to work with as an edge rusher. There isn't that same amount of time on the interior. And I want to see him speed up that process a little bit because like I said, he can get off the blocks just fine. Once he may not be the first guy to make contact, but eventually he's going to stack and shed and he's going to throw the guy out of the way. And I think he can cut a few milliseconds out of that time by being a little quicker off the snap. Like his pad level, that comes with coaching and experience playing on the inside. So for Carl Brooks in particular, if the Jets were to take him in the second round, I don't know if this is going to be a guy that completely and totally fits in right away off the snap as a rookie, like we were talking about saying, you know, we expect that out of a second round pick. And yes, the Jets do rotate and all of that. I don't know if this is going to be somebody that's going to make the biggest impact year one because he'll be playing a new position. He'll be learning a new scheme. He'll be having to retrain his body from being an edge rusher to being a defensive tackle, but give him a year at it. And I think year two, Carl Brooks, we're looking as a full-time starter. Uh, the, The talent is absolutely there. The frame is absolutely there. And the last thing I want to mention, you talked about it a little bit, Matt, his ability to change direction at his size is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And it's not bend. There's a difference between change of direction and bend. He can bend a little bit. Like you said, he can get his shoulders low and turn and kick his legs out and, and round some corners. But his ability to be fully upright as an edge rusher and get an offensive tackle to overset to the outside, recognize that overset. And in two steps at 6'4 and 303 pounds, in two steps, be able to cross that offensive tackle space, give an inside counter, swim with an arm over, get inside and get a sack. Like completely fluidly and uh, agilely, just as if he was playing edge at 255 pounds. That's really, really impressive. And I think it could make him specifically for the Jets an absolute weapon with the third down games and twists that they like to run. Where you can have this guy, we've seen the Jets do an overload front a lot this past year, where they'll have a wide nine to one side, and they'll have their three other defensive linemen pretty much to this, even with the center or to the other side of the center of the the wide nine that they have. And they got three guys to one side and this other wide guy on the other end, and they'll loop them, where they'll slant in the three guys to the inside, they'll loop the wide nine back from the outside to the inside and try and create a crease or they'll do their TE stunts where they start with two wide ends that crash inside and the tackles go around to the outside. We saw Quinn get a sack on that. I think it was against the Packers um, with one sort of rush uh, game like that. I think Brooks could be perfect for that because he's just so agile and so quick and, and his ability to change direction at that size makes him so lethal on those plays. I remember texting you last night, Matt, and I was watching, you know, as a refresher for Brooks a little bit for this episode. He had a rep as a defensive end where he's the long looper as a wide tech, a wide nine defensive end. He's having to come from a wide nine loop all the way around to the inside and the a gap. And he rounds the corner in two and a half steps at 303 pounds. That's unreal. That's absolutely unreal. So I'm I'm a fan of this guy. And while I have some concerns, he's very much a player that I recognize what the concerns are. I know why they exist. I know how they can be fixed and I know they can be fixed with time. I, I just think. I think he's going to be really good in the future. I don't know about year one, but really look out for year two. Yeah, and like with Cancy, I uh, again, I, I think that it's fine for him to just be a role player year one. Uh, because going back to what Salah said, how they really want to just 
build off of the team, the def- the defense that they had last year, and just kind of retool around them. So if that means that we're getting back a Rankins or getting a guy like Gaines, uh, then that kind of allows guys like Brooks or Cancy to really just hone their skills to kind of just find their way in our defense and in the league itself and really just iron out what they need to iron out and be good to go year two as solid studs. And who knows what's going to happen with Quinnen next year. We don't know if uh, if they're going to get that deal done this year or if they're going to have to wait till the last minute next year. Uh, So it, it's a question mark and having as many weapons as you can in waiting, uh, at least gives you leverage. Uh, and a guy like Brooks or even Canty will have paid dividends in the future more so than right away. Uh, but that, that's not to take away that they will also add some kind of value in the near term as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think there's going to be reps where as a rookie, you get Carl Brooks in certain sets and let him use his pass rush, a pass rush prowess to do what he does best and overwhelm people with his size, strength and quickness. Absolutely. I think Kalaja can see the same way you get him lined up on a guard and give him a runway and give him a, a two way go on a guard where he can go inside or out. Good night. I think he can find ways to contribute early as well. The last guy I want to talk about before we wrap this, uh, wrap all this up today for this week is a guy that's a little further down the board where we've been talking about guys that have all been kind of clustered within the top 50, I would say, give or take hard to tell exact draft position now at the beginning of March, but give or take, we're thinking around top 50. This is where we have these guys graded, where we evaluate them, where we think the league is going to follow suit. The last guy I want to talk about is Zach Pickens of South Carolina, who we both agree, Matt, is probably more of a third, fourth round type of player, mid round pick. Don't think he's going to be in either of our top 50 overalls but by no means a bad player, by no means somebody that can't contribute and can't find a role early and in the future. And the thing I want to highlight with Pickens, as we've been going through this episode, we keep talking about fit and the specific role of, of what they need to do on early downs, what they need to do on pass downs, where they fit in the in-between in the rotation. Looking at everything as a whole, quite honestly, and I'd like to get your opinion on this too, Matt, of all the guys we've talked about today in terms of the draft, I don't think there's a better fit for what the Jets need besides Keanu Benton than Zach Pickens. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, for another guy that's 300 plus pounds, he, he also has surprising quickness uh, and is able to chase down bar- ball carriers. Uh, he looks the part. He's He's got natural size. Uh, he's got a great frame. Uh, he's got a nice thick body that, that's really hard to move in, in the run game. Uh, and he also has lateral agility and balance to be able to cover two gaps if, if even asked to uh, and uh, I, I don't want to say that he is, uh, he, he, yes, he's kind of in the same mold as Benton, uh, but I would say he's definitely in the tier below. Um, Agreed. And, and I, I definitely see it. If we didn't want to, if we want to go elsewhere in the second round, maybe in interior offensive line or anything, really. And we were looking towards uh, something in the third or fourth round. To, to really fill this this gap and kind of gives takes the pressure off them as well. Uh, we were talking about Canty and Brooks and how uh, what our expectations would be for them. I feel like in the third or fourth round, a guy like Pickens, uh, those expectations are a little bit lower, and he has a little bit more room to breathe without this New York media and fan base 
kind of breathing down his neck saying, hey, you, you got to do a little bit more. Uh, so at the, at the third, third to fourth round, uh, I think that's kind of a nice place to put him and a nice place to get him. Uh, he's, he's impressive. He's a guy that if he wraps you up, you're done. Uh, you're, you're not getting away from him. Uh, he, he's got the balance to, to fight through blocks and not get pushed off his spot. Uh, and some decent length. I think he has somewhere around 34 inch arms. Uh, so it's definitely above average, uh, to be able to just wrap up all carries and then just annihilate them. Uh, and, and the, the quickness that I mentioned before as well, uh, that allows him to, to be, uh, a decent penetrator if asked to be that. Uh, so I, I think, yes, he definitely fits the mold uh, of what we need. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The one thing with Zach Pickens that, that I really like and really stuck out to me when I was watching his tape is his ability to drive people back. Where if he's getting blocked for, say, a uh, team's trying to run an outside zone and he's lined up as the three technique defensive tackle and he's got a guard that's trying to cross his face on a reach block and get to the front side and kind of wall him off and walk him up off the line of scrimmage and create a lane to the outside for that running back. He's going to be the guy that once that lineman crosses his face, he's getting in their chest and he is walking them into the backfield where you'll be watching clips and you'll see South Carolina's defensive lineman. They got four guys down in the front. Three of them are at the line of scrimmage and pack uh, Pickens is three yards into the backfield. That happens a lot. There's a lot of plays that he makes that don't show up on the stat sheet where he is just ruining whatever the plan was for the offense and completely taking away and making things difficult for them. But the, uh, his teammates are the ones getting the statistical credit. They're the ones getting the tackle. They're the ones getting the sack. They're the ones, you know, doing things like that. And Pickens really kind of was the setup man. He does that a lot. And for the jet scheme in particular, this is where I brought this up, looking at what they need, how it fits in the scheme, how it fits with the guys they already have around them. The jets are okay with that. They're okay with guys that, you know, you don't necessarily need to be the guy always getting free or, or shooting a gap and getting inside and going and making the tackle for, for loss yourself they could be just perfectly fine with you creating habit, getting into the backfield, forcing that running back to slow down or change direction. And then their bad out of hell linebackers can come screaming downhill and they can clean it up. That's fine for the Jets coaches. And so I think Pickens could really fit there. You had mentioned his length, which I'm curious to see what the actual measurement is because I'm a little susceptible. I have to figure out this problem I have. I don't know whether it's due to length or whether it's due to upper body strength. And the, the testing will definitely tell me that. Like I said, he's really good at driving people back. He's really good at creating penetration, and it's not necessarily just with quickness, it's with raw strength and, and power in his lower body to get low and continue to drive and move people the way he wants them to go. But I saw him struggle a bit to disengage from blocks. And this is kind of where my question is, is it length or is it upper body strength? Because if it's length, then it's, you know, we don't know if you have the reach to be able to fully disengage and and the guy who's grasping onto you has another inch or two that he can extend his arms and keep you free and not give you a way to get off of it. That was kind of my question. You're saying he supposedly has measured in with decent length of close to 34 inch arms. If that ends up being the case, then my question becomes the upper body strength where you may not have the strength to, to bench guys off you when you aren't doing the pushing and you're on the sled drill and it's get low and use your lower body and your lower half to do all the heavy lifting. He's great at that. But when he's got to let his arms do the lifting and he's got to disengage with his hands and, and bench press people off of him, that's when I saw a bit of struggles. Even still, he doesn't give ground very often because of that lower body strength and because of that ability to be stout. He's not getting walked off the ball. 
He's not, you know, completely getting tossed around. He's the guy where I'm going to hold my ground at the point of attack. You're not going to move me and I'm going to have an opportunity to get off and make the tackle and the running back's going to run by me because I'm still getting blocked. That's kind of my question with him. But if he cleans that up, I think there's a really solid foundation here. I like the ability as a pass rusher as well. Saw a little bit of a spin move. We've seen some gap penetration as well, where you can find, like I said, be the guy that shoots the gap. I saw a little bit of that as well, where he can get into the backfield. And then as a pass rusher, he can use that same power and drive to just collapse the pocket. And I, I hold that in very high regard where I think there is, if you are going to be an interior guy, there's nothing wrong with being the Kalijah Kansies of the world, but you're super quick and you're quick off the ball and you're getting free and you're just getting home for sacks. That's great. Not complaining about that whatsoever. But I hold that a little special piece in my heart for the guys on the interior defensive tackle that can just take a center or guard, get inside their chest and walk them back to the quarterback and take away lanes to step up. That That is huge for me. If you can if you can discredit the integrity of the pocket, if you can take away that lane for quarterbacks to get up and have a safe throwing platform, then it just opens everything up for the rest of the defense, specifically the edge rushers. And for the Jets edge rushers, where we're going to have guys like Carl Lawson and Bryce Huff and Jermaine Johnson and Michael Clemens, where they're coming full speed around the corner, you don't want to have to take away sacks from those guys because quarterbacks can just step up out of their way. Having a guy like Pickens on the interior, I think, really helps prevent that because he's taking away that space those quarterbacks have. I, I like his fit a lot. Third round, 70, I believe it's 73rd overall is when the Jets' third round pick is. I wouldn't I, be upset with that. I could definitely it, see him there for that. Yeah, I wouldn't be upset with that. I'm not sure it would be an A-plus, you know, right home, this is a steal or anything, but it would be a solid value at a position to need with a player that fits the scheme really well. I, you won't hear me complaining at all. No, me neither. Uh, so I'm looking at the, the the measurements. I think these are from the Senior Bowl, uh, where he had 81 and 7 inch uh, wingspan, uh, 34 and 1 uh, uh arms. So that comfortably puts him in the 78th percentile and 66th percentile. Yeah, no, that's good length. So that makes me think it's upper body strength, not the length itself. Yeah, but I mean, you know what? It, that upper body strength, uh, I. It's something that could definitely be built. We've seen people get stronger once they make the leap to the NFL all the time. Uh, what's already there and what matters also is that lower body strength, that that tree trunk yep. legs that's able to really push the, the, the lineman back. It might not be there right now with the upper body, but that could definitely be built. And once it is, then he just gets that much better. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I Like I said, there's there's room to work with here. And if you're looking at the guy that can be stout against the run, that can create havoc on the interior, that can get after the quarterback when need be and fill kind of multiple roles, whether it be on early downs or on pass downs. I think, like we said, Keanu Benton is the number one guy for that. If we're looking at this draft class as a whole, when we're saying who's the best possible guy they could find to fill that role that isn't named Jalen Carter, who's going to be gone way too early, that's going to be Keanu Benton. If I'm looking at pure fit of what's being asked, I'm not necessarily looking at the quality of each individual aspect, and I'm purely looking at who can fill this role and do the most things within it that are needed. Of the guys we talked about, I think Pickens is next on that list. I think so as well. Yeah, he, he definitely fits that role. All right, Matt, I think that does it for this week. Appreciate everybody tuning in as we continue on with our position preview, review, et cetera. Wrap up this Jets roster ahead of the 2023 offseason when free agency in the draft will obviously have a big factor in what is going to happen. 
stay tuned right here. We will have a big combine review once that is officially finished starting next week. So keep uh, tuned for that as well. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you're following the show at OKD Podcast. You can also find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Matt, tell the people where they can find you and we'll wrap this one up. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jeff. Thank you guys one more time for tuning in and we will be back real, real soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.